I'm Carla Theresa-Walk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do in these weekly updates is um, I share a few thoughts about different things, as well as give an update on where we're at in our efforts to help some Afghan Christians who escaped to Pakistan. Um, and so I started, uh, got involved in this because my friend Mark Ritchie um, asked me to help him teach some of his Bible studies that he had been teaching via Zoom in Pakistan, and he has been ministering, um, really, he's ministered all over the world, but he's focused in uh, Asia quite a bit, but he was a commodities trader by profession, but his avocation is really um, uh, evangelism and uh, training of the church. He has written several books, and uh, maybe his his autobiography is God in the Pits, and maybe by next week, I'm not sure if we'll get this done by now because I don't have the files yet, but maybe by next week you might be able to um, get a collection of his autobiography, God in the Pits, and his uh, advice on trading, uh, which is my trading Bible. We're going to be doing a collection of those, a digital collection. So anyway, that's coming, but I'm not sure. Like I said, I don't have files yet, so I don't know how soon it will be ready. But then his friend Don, who has also done ministry in uh, all over the world, um, Don Shire, uh, joined in with us. And Mark's just been kind of, you know, this freewheeling uh, cowboy kind of person going around and just helping people where he sees the needs. Uh, Don is more structured and he has a ministry called Don Chart uh, Ministries and so he uh, has orphanages in different areas he's uh, done um, uh, humanitarian efforts in like Ukraine and just different places and so he partnered with us in this in that uh, if he's accepting donations on behalf of this effort so if you go to donshireministries.org and select raised to walk, then those donations will go to help our people. And so that makes um, one of the things easier. Like I don't have to worry about reporting or anything like that. I just tell Don, uh, this is what we need and this is where to send it. And I give him the uh, records uh, or give him documentation for where money went and then he takes care of the reporting and everything. So that makes it easy. So anyway, um, some thoughts for the week. As I've mentioned before, on Mondays, I meet with the, the group of Afghan believers and we do a Bible study. So in the beginning, we talk a little bit about where we're at with immigration and uh, what we're working on. And then we go into a Bible study. And when Mark was doing this, he had a structured uh, curriculum that he was using and he was taking them through the arguments for God um, in John chapter 1. And Mark has a background in apologetics. He has a, I think he has a, I don't know if he's an MDiv or what, but he was actually mentored by Norman Geisler, which if you know who Norman Geisler is, he's a very uh, big player in the field of apologetics. And uh, Mark not only took, you know, learned from him, but he was mentored by him and so uh, that wasn't Mark's profession wasn't in missions but that's where he's um, invested 
his um, his money so um, and his time, especially after he retired. So his focus when he teaches is always very apologetic oriented. And when I took over the classes in December, I thought it was just going to be for a break. And so we were just kind of, we went over Christmas and things like that. And uh, then when I continued on in the classes, when the break went on longer than I thought it would, uh, I really wasn't sure where we were going to go with this. What, what are we going to be covering? And so I asked them what they wanted to learn. And they said they wanted to learn about uh, world religions and prayer. So we've covered a little bit about that. Um, but lately what we've been doing really since Easter, we've been focusing more on the Psalms. And um, this week we did Psalm 31. And this has been, it's been really cool to do these lessons because, you know, I'm, I come from a, you know, I it was born into a Christian family and I've been in church my whole life. And, uh, I'm in the U.S. where culturally, um, whether people are Christians or not, a lot of people think they're Christians or not, but, you know, there's it's culturally Christian. And I'm in a Bible study with people who are, you know, on the other side of the world, and they have very different experiences growing up. They grew up in a Muslim country, and they're in very different circumstances than I am. And so it's really interesting to hear their, hear their insights and what, stands out for them. And so when we started on this, I had three three different passages that I was sharing with them that were to me they were encouragement from God. I have this in I have this little notebook where I have verses that are topical and those three passages are three passages that I I just go to when I, you know I need to read words of encouragement. And so from this chapter Psalm 31, the, the verses that stood out to me were uh, verses 19 and 20 in Psalms 31. And let me see, let me go down and find this. Okay, so verses 19 and 20 are, um, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. So that was my highlight from verse 31, or chapter 31. But then we read the whole chapter, and I asked them um, what, what was meaningful to them, what stood out to them. So I'm going to, I thought this would be different this time. Rather than my thoughts, I'm going to share with you their thoughts about this, this passage. So keep in mind, um, this is for context. I don't know exactly when this was written, but it's a Psalm of David. And David was, for years, he had been, you know, he had been anointed by Samuel, uh, promised to be the next king of Israel. He was faithful to Saul. Saul betrayed him. He was faithful to his friend Jonathan. Jonathan betrayed him. And so uh, jo David was on the run for years. He was in hiding. Um, he had to go in among his enemies uh, to escape Saul. And um, so a lot of these 
Psalms were written, it wasn't what had already happened. It was, especially like when I read Psalms 23, it's David proclaiming what he has faith in God to bring about. And this is, uh, this is, when you read it, it's like David is in a hard and difficult time and he's writing this as a reminder to himself and it's a proclamation that God is um, going to come through and be good to him. And so then the people in Afghanistan or in Pakistan are also in exile. They're on the run. They have to be cautious around everyone, not only just because they're Afghans in Pakistan, but also because they're Christians in a predominantly Muslim country. Um, some of them have already been beaten. Most of them have had have lost family members um, to the Taliban, um, even in Pakistan. Again, some have been evicted from, you know, evicted and had to find other, other homes uh, because Yes, people found out they were Christians. So anyway, so keep this in mind as I'm reading this. Oh Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress for the honor of your name. Lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, for I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. I hate those who worship worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to my enemies, but have set me in a safe place. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. I am scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I am ignored as if I were dead. As if I were a broken pot, I have heard the many rumors about me and am surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, You are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, rescue me. Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord, for I call out to you for help. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be silent in the grave. Silence their lying lips, those proud and arrogant lips that accuse the godly. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. Praise the Lord, for he has shown me the wonders of his unfailing love. He kept me safe when my city was under attack. In panic, I cried out, I am cut off from the Lord, but you heard my cry for mercy and answered my call for help. Love the Lord, all you godly ones, for the Lord protects those who are loyal to him, but he harshly punishes the arrogant. So be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord.
And um, so when we finished, the translator said, it talks all about our situation. And it does. It's exactly about their situation. And he said, we have to continue to put our hope in God. And that's one of those things that I have to keep reminding myself because it's just, um, I don't know, this has all been a learning experience. I the beginning is so, so overwhelming because I don't know, I don't know anything about it at all and just learning as I go and it's just, it was so, so, so intense and I had to go back to Afghanistan because, you know, the whole uh, visa thing and it was just, it was just really, really intense and I, I realized just yesterday I've kind of gotten used to being in that state of tension, you know, like, just kind of always like being on edge, like wondering, okay, what's going to come next? And as we've been going, we've had things happen and I realized, okay, I didn't make this happen. <laughs> I mean, in the beginning I knew, okay, I was like, okay, guys, you're going to have to make this work because I know nothing about this. But then I start getting into this thing like, okay, yeah, these things are working. And like, I, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like I start feeling anxious about it. But anyway, this is, this is what they said. So this is one, um, one person said she's actually, she's, I think she's in her 20s, but she said, if a person accuses you, you must be with God. And when we're with God, we have the life of God in our hearts. And believers, believers and non-believers can be in the same circumstances, but the difference is, you know, is when we have God with us, it's Emmanuel. Right? God with us. God is in our hearts. The life of God is in us. And then this next one is the um, the wife of our the head of one of our house churches. And they're a family of nine, and they have um, one of their sons has leukemia, and um, she's actually has some something going on. She's been fading, having headaches, and uh, we just had to um, send money to get an MRI for her. So they don't know what's wrong yet. But anyway, she said, she said we have we tr trust in God as a father so kind to us and um, she talked about uh, when Hagar was out in the wilderness and she needed help and she called out to God and God heard her and see and um, helped her gave her what she needed and in that passage Hagar called um, God Elroy the God who sees me and so that was a good reminder. God does see us. He does hear us. And you just have to remember that. And um, I have to remind myself of that because it gets, things get overwhelming. But anyway, so those are my thoughts for this week or their thoughts, their thoughts this week, um, their thoughts on that passage. And uh, so anyway, that's a little bit about uh, what we do in our Monday Bible studies. But 
Moving on to what is going on in Afghanistan. So this is a update um, from Steve Jensen. He's somebody that I share his, his post frequently. He's writing a book on the history of Afghanistan. And uh, just as a side note, I, after I, I do this live, but then like the next day or so, I was late this, this last week, but the next day or so, I will publish an article on my website at racetowalk.org for this live stream. And then it will have all of the links to what I'm talking about and the tweets and the articles and everything. I, originally when I started, I was doing it just in the YouTube description, but there's just got to be way too many. So now I have all of the updates that I've done here. I have everything I'm referencing there. So if you want to know what I'm talking about and want a source for it, you can just go to that. I'll have it all there. But anyway, so what, what he's pointing out in this graph here, there's a, a chart of the, um, the Taliban attacks. And what he's showing is that in 2020, the year of the Doha agreement, after the Taliban were supposed to stand down and not attack anymore because we supposedly had this agreement, was never, uh, the host of the Generation Jihad pointed out that it was never a peace agreement. It was just us basically, you know, giving Taliban everything they wanted. But they, um, that year they had more attacks by the Taliban than any year in, in the past. And so the Taliban never held up to, in any way, in any way to the Doha agreement at all, or even what people think the Doha agreement was about. But as people have pointed out, it, the Doha agreement actually didn't constrain the Taliban in, in any way at all, other than at all. Uh, so then the fact that there were more attacks did not break the agreement on their part. But if you hear people saying we had to withdraw, otherwise they would have attacked more, that's, that's completely bogus because they attacked more anyway. So anyway, so this is one thing that was interesting. I, I saw this, I think it was yesterday. It was, it was a it was in Persian. I translated it, and it says that, and the translation is not great, so I really couldn't tell what it was, but it was saying that the government agencies in um, coast have been cut off from the flags of the Emirate, and the network is not working for 24 hours a day. So I really wasn't sure what that meant, but it sounded like something. And then I came across, I just this is just this morning, I uh, saw that Lark um, Escobar at Lark Abroad had said that had basically reiterated this, that there were several reports that Taliban flags had been removed from buildings and that cellular communications were down and that they were no, um, they were no longer flying the, uh, the flag of the Taliban uh, government. And then also this morning, there was a, um, Steve Jensen posted that one of the um, leaders in the Taliban army has defect has joined the NRF, which is the Natural National Resistance Front. It, they're basically the only uh, group standing against the Taliban right now in Afghanistan. He's joined them, brought troops and equipment. So um, that was interesting. Other interesting one I saw just this morning was that the, the one of the, uh, the public one of the speeches that one of the Taliban spokespersons uh, said that they were saying something about 
drones flying over Afghanistan and telling the Pakistan not to allow uh, anyone to use their airspace to fly over Afghanistan. And so we had some of the people, of our, our people in Pakistan, you know, the Afghans in Pakistan at my Bible study this morning at, at my church. And um, afterwards I asked them if they'd heard anything about that. And he, they said, uh, uh, they said, oh, it's always Pakistan. Pakistan's always involved in things like that. And they didn't really think it was, he said things like that happen all the time. So they didn't think there was anything unusual, but it sounds to me like there might be a little bit of something going on. So I don't know. But anyway, that's today in Pakistan. And just as a reminder, Taliban are terrorists and thugs. This last week, this is just a little brief overview. They were confiscating and burning musical instruments because, you know, that is just so, so dangerous. Also, this is a video of... Um, women who were protesting, and I think this is over, they tell them closed salons last week. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're in these like full-on burkas anyway, and then they can't even go to salons, but they were going and uh, they're protesting. They were spraying them with water hoses and firing above their heads. And, you know, if you go to my, I'll have a link to that post where you can watch the video if you want on my website. Also, they, uh, in Herat, uh, they were um, assaulting women for not complying with the dress code. Really sounds a lot like you know, Thea Rose here, just a little bit farther, and they're exactly the same. Um, so, okay, so this is a former um, person in the former government was uh, captured and tortured um, again. That is, I'm pretty sure that's a, I don't know if the Taliban agreed to it, but supposedly, like in Biden's speech, he said that the Taliban, like our ally, anybody who wants to leave Afghanistan would be able to, and that the Taliban would attack our allies. They've never done that. They always have. It's completely ridiculous. Another one, Taliban will not allow women to take um, the medical exam. So there are women who... Uh, you know, ready, you know, who had their, gone through all their training, who are ready to take, ready to take their exam, and Taliban won't let them. Also remember that uh, women, are, men are not allowed to treat women. So basically, if you're a woman in Afghanistan, you can just forget medical care, I guess. I don't know. Um, then, this is another one. There was a, um, a, a video of a guy who was from Korea saying, oh yeah, it's great to come to Afghanistan for tourism. And it was another propaganda thing. I'll, I'll get to another big propaganda push that was happened this last week, a huge deal. But um, the person posting this said he's not Korean, he's Pakistani, and which if you, you can't see on this, but if you if you go to my website and actually look at this, the uh, what I'm gonna link to, it actually, it's, it is pretty obvious, but anyway. So, other news. The Taliban has abolished the Attorney General's office in Afghanistan. And this is after, in 2021, they took over the Independent Bar Association. So, they control the so-called justice system, which kind of reminds me of 
what it's like in Texas, considering that we have, as our attorney general, are very much indicted and investigated. Ken Paxton, who has been impeached, but still, he raised $1.7 million in two weeks after he's he was impeached. So completely ridiculous. Please tell me what is different about Afghanistan and Texas. I really don't know. And then to add to that, so Dan Patrick, uh, there was a group that gives him $3 million to um, that also backs Paxton. And then after that, um, Patrick issues a gag order on everyone that's involved in the, in the impeachment trial. Is Patrick, is it going to be presiding over it? Is that not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Like completely corrupt. Okay, but going back to Pakistan. So this is a post that Iowa and Pakistan did. And they, they just like posting this like, oh, we're, we're just discussing what we can do to help the mental health of Afghans in Pakistan. It's like, okay, I have a suggestion for you. How about letting them register as refugees so they can get medical care, they can actually like live somewhere legally because they have to register with the police. They have to have a visa to be able to get housing and then they have to register with the police. Okay, so how about how about that? How about you let them register as refugees and then their kids would be able to go to school and they'd be able to work and also get medical care. I'm sure, I'm sure that would go a long ways to helping their mental health. So the other thing, this week there's reports of Crimean Congo and Pakistan. Not good. Um, also, this is another thing. It's like everybody, it's like they know the Taliban are terrorists and thugs, but they don't want to admit it and they don't want to do anything about it. So they just whitewash them instead, including the UN. And this was a couple of posts about, you know, well, the way this person is presenting it, the, there's basically plotting to um, kind of make the Taliban look better than they are. And there's this disgusting thing. It was a, like a conference on women's issues, which is, oh my gosh, that is just unbelievable. Okay. But the big news of this week regarding Afghanistan, there was this guy, I can't show you the video because he took it down, but there was this guy. Tobias Elwood, who did a video saying that the Taliban had transformed the country, that they had he, they had eliminated corruption and got rid of the, the opening production, which is again total total crock. They said the same thing last year, and, and production was up thirty two percent. Huge backlash, and then he apologized. But this is some of the backlash. I have links to all of these on my on my website. This guy is talking about like basically Elwood's been hired as the satire. Obviously, Elwood's been hired as the um, new spokesperson for the Taliban. Uh, this person saying that she, you know, she's like he needs to take it down. He's like I just got uh, photos of three people who've been killed by the Taliban, and I think it was a three year old whose arm has been broken. I, I mean, it's just they're just terrorists and thugs are just horrible and this is you know just more oh wait the wrong thing more backlash so then he takes it down he, he apologizes and he actually this is a shocker somebody says something that's stupid i mean i know england has their problems too 
but they actually were going to remove him from his position in parliament because of just the ridiculousness of what he said. <laughs> Imagine if that happened here. Oh yeah, we can't even get rid of this, the uh, seditionists. So um, anyway, so this isn't, this is indirectly related, but this is directly related to U.S. immigration. So Texas, uh, you know, we have Greg Abbott as our governor who is totally sold out. I mean, he's bought and paid for. And so in order to like garner up support, what, one of the things he does, he, he, he just panders. He just, um, just goes and tries to rile up people based on propaganda and ignorance. So he goes and makes a show about putting a razor wire along the Rio Grande, Grande River, um, which is what separates the U.S. from Mexico. So there's that. So just that alone is an issue because, number one, it's destroying the riparian zone along the river. Um, it also, uh, it, they were talking in one of the articles, it talked about how the animals can't get down to the river. Um, there was a guy who does like canoe, has a canoeing business or something like that. And he was filing a lawsuit against Abbott because he's blocking his access. And so all of this, it, it's not just, um, it, it's destroying the ecosystem in addition to the humanitarian aspects of it. That is bad enough, right? And considering all the issues that we have with our water in Texas, like, like we need to be doing more. I mean, I don't understand why people are so unbelievably oblivious to how things interact. And this is just a side note. There's a, there's a state park uh, down at uh, Brazos Bend. Is that right? No, it's south of Houston, Buffalo Bayou. I'll have to link to it in my article. I don't know. Anyway, it, it has this really, and I've been there, I'm not sure, but I, I might be getting the name confused. Anyway, they have this really cool uh, nature center where they show how the, um, all the everything interacts in the ecosystem. And what's really cool about that, where that park is, it's like four different types of ecosystems intersect there. So you can just kind of, and they'll show you like the, like the wetlands and these different things. And we actually camp there. Uh, one time and my girls were freaking out because they have alligators. <laughs> they ended up really liking it. There's an observatory there too. So anyway, but going back to Abbott, um, but beyond just the fence, what they've he's done is, it's just completely disgusting. They put barbed wire in the river itself, in these, in these strategic points where, um, where they're trying to funnel uh, people who cross the the river there to these more dangerous spots where they're drowned. There was a whistleblower that uh, with that came and said that um, I'll just read this. So this is an email. The email highlights several distressing incidents witnessed by the trooper. In one instance, a pregnant woman was found caught in the razor wire, experiencing excruciating pain as she suffered a miscarriage. Another incident involved a four-year-old girl who had fainted due to heat exhaustion after attempting to traverse the wire, only to be forcibly pushed back by Texas National Guard soldiers. Furthermore, 
a teenager fractured his leg while navigating the water around the wire and had to be carried by his father. The trooper's email also revealed that Texas had strategically placed razor wire wrapped barrels in certain sections of the river with high water levels and low visibility, effectively setting what they referred to as traps. This dangerous setup has inadvertently compelled migrants to venture into. So, I'm going to show you the rest of these and then I'll, I'll, so this is, so what's going on? Base, <laughs> Abbott's basically saying, we'll do what we want. I'm not going to listen to anyone else. Beto is like asking Biden and the Justice Department to get involved and investigate it. Um, the Justice Department is actually investigating, but, you know, Abbott's saying, I'll do what I want to do. And it is just, uh, this is the thing about about that whole situation. So one of the most, I don't know, I would say one of the most disgusting things, but I've seen so many disgusting comments posted by, I don't know. I mean, all I have to hope for, hope for is that they're bots and not actual people because some of the comments I've seen are completely and totally disgusting. Um, but I'm just going to cover some of the things that aren't, like, the worst of it. And it's just straight-up ignorant. So one of the comments I saw repeatedly was like, oh, well, there are 29 points of entry, and they can go to any one of them, and they don't have to cross a river. Okay. Number one, um, that just tells me that you have no idea really what the situation is. So... First of all, most of the people that come to the border in that way are asylum seekers. And yes, they should be able to come to the border and present themselves. However, there are several things that uh, prohibit that. So first of all, the in January, the it changed so that people could only present themselves at the border if they had had made an appointment with this CB1 app. And there are only a very limited number of appointments available on the app. And I've come across an article saying, uh, talking about an Afghan who flew to Mexico and had been waiting for a year in a camp trying to get one of those appointments and still hadn't been able to. So when I first started these updates a few weeks in, I talked about one of the, um, the cousins of one of our people in Pakistan, and he had gone to Brazil and then come up through the southern border and he had contacted me when he was in Mexico and I was trying to find help for him in Mexico and then didn't hear from him for two months and what happened he had gone across the border and then presented himself to um, border patrol and you know they arrested him and if you read stories, like I read another article about Chinese who have done the same thing, come in, they cross the border, and then they present themselves to Border Patrol to um, to uh, get asylum. And I was like, why did you do that? Because why didn't you present yourself at the border not knowing that they had to make an appointment through the app? And so that is really, that was a way to present themselves to do that. Uh, the cousin that I'm talking about, the reason he was missing for two months is because he was they were, he was arrested and he was in a detention center. Uh, CoreCivic 
detention center in Mississippi for two months, and then somehow we got to New York. I have no idea how that happened. They don't always language barrier is a serious thing. So um, now he has he was released. And he has humanitarian parole. I've been trying to get an update on what he's, he's doing. So I don't really know exactly what that means. But the thing is, in May, um, what he did was would not actually even be an option anymore because after the Title 42 and the COVID restrictions expired, Biden implemented a new policy of if someone does not apply for affirmative asylum, like apply ahead of time for asylum before they come, or um, make an appointment at the app or with the app, then their their application is automatically going to be denied. They have to apply for asylum first in the country, the first country they come to. So for now, if that Afghan you know, if he hasn't already made it through, he's, that I was talking about, that had flown from Af probably Pakistan, Afghanistan, gone to Pakistan, flown to Mexico. If he didn't apply for asylum in Mexico and get rejected, he can't even apply for asylum. And so all these people that are coming through the border that way, they're probably just going to be automatically rejected anyway. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I mean, just from what I'm reading about the stories, I think that's what it sounds like to me. And there's, I mean, all these international agencies like the UN, International, International, um, uh, or Amnesty International, there's another one, IRCC or something like that. But they're, they've been condemning the, the Biden administration and the U.S. for this because we've basically denied the right to claim asylum. So Abbott is saying, oh, we have to do this. No, you don't. I mean, our policies already are pretty not good. They're not, they're not immigrant friendly. And under the current policies, pretty much all those people that he's torturing as they're trying to come across the, the, the river, they would be deported anyway. So he's just doing this straight up to be sadistic because he's a jackass. And I don't even think he has any sort of conscience left. He's just completely, it's just utter evil. And the reality is, is that he's doing this because, again, he has to deflect and try to make everybody else the bad guy rather than himself because he is so sold out to, you know, big money donors that all the, for the rest of Texas, we're actually like the last in the U.S. as far as quality of life. And this is a true story. And if he wasn't so sold out and was, wasn't was just continually like undercutting the regular person at every single turn, then he wouldn't have to, to go through these. I, I don't know. The fact that anybody would vote for him when he's just this cruel and vindictive person is disgusting to me. But I don't know. This is just where we're at. I, I just, I, there's just no words sometimes. But anyway, moving on from that. I mean, I can't even explain to you when I look at things like that and just think about some of my people being in, involved in that. It, it's just, it, it really, I, it's so stressful. And then the other thing that just drives me crazy is when I hear people talking about open borders. Shut up. You have no idea what you're talking about. If there are these open borders, let me, t please, 
please send me an email. Send me an email at contact at Race to Walk and tell me how where these open borders are and how it works because I have people that need to come through them. So please let me know how that works. But no, you're not going to be able to because they're not there. But this is what's just so infuriating to me is that, you know, People in these other countries that are absolutely desperate, they hear the same things. They hear their jack these jackasses on Fox. They hear all this squawking about open borders on Twitter and social media. Like people and the people that have no idea what they're talking about and they think it's true. They think it's true. And so then they make a life altering decision, risking their lives to come to a place where they think they might be safe and have hope. And then this is what they get. So anyway, no there's no such thing as open borders. Shut up. Shut up. You have no idea what you're talking about. But anyway, that just aggravates me. <sighs> Moving on from that, what have we been doing to fulfill our promise to the Afghan people? Not a whole heck of a lot. This is, it was a report, Lark uh, Escobar actually posted this, but this is how many SIV applications we processed. We processed a total of 1,903 um, applications. And that uh, for total people as a whole, including their family, it was 7,750 people. Okay, that may sound like a lot, but we have 69,000. What? That's not right. Okay, I think that's 69,000 applications. Obviously, looks to me like the number, there's a typo in that, but um, it's 16,000 applications. So do the math. How long is it going to take for us to process those? So part of the issue with the SAV applications, um, they have, let me go back to it. I've shared this before. SAV applications or special immigration visas are for people who worked directly with the uh, U.S. troops or government. And... Um, where is it? Okay, this is the application. So this is a whole long application and it starts at that step one is comm approval. Okay, so what they have to do is for like interpreters, you know, and people that worked with the troops and stuff. So they have to submit the application with all their documentation and they have uh, basically outsourced, they've got contractors to review the applications to make sure all the documentation is there. And one of the things that they have to have is um, they have to have a letter of recommendation. And one of the difficulties in that was that originally it said it had to be with the um, it had to be the senior most person in the organization, the American, in the organization, in the contracting organization that they worked with. So for our families that are the siblings of our translator, the, the lady that had been translating for us, it's a U.S. citizen that lives in Washington State, her siblings worked for IDS International that uh, would not just kind of basically ghosting and wouldn't respond to the request for a letter of recommendation. So one of the, uh, the brother-in-law actually got a letter of recommendation from the head of 
the Afghan contracting company. So IDS International had the contract. This Afghan uh, company was doing the work. He got the letter from the Afghan person, which I guess they had loosened up the requirements and so that that was acceptable. And so his moved, supposedly moved to comm approval. The brother, I don't know why he didn't have the same thing, but his wasn't. What I've been hearing, and I'm not sure about this, is that if once it's at comm approval, if they can't talk to the person, the supervisor that wrote the, that letter of recommendation, their application isn't going to go anywhere. Which, <laughs> this is the thing. Um, if they're not going to, if, if you say, oh, okay, yeah, we can have a letter here. You can get a letter from the company that you actually work for, your direct supervisor, if it was an Afghan company, just to submit the application. But then when it gets to comm approval, they don't. That's not going to fly. That is really one of the most sadistic things that I've ever heard of because Again, people are making life-altering decisions thinking that they may have, that, that that's a path, that that's a viable path for them. If it's not going to work, just tell them no to begin with. If, if, if you cannot, if they're not going to, if you can get the application in, but you know it's not going to go anywhere, if they, if they don't have that U.S. citizen that can vouch for them, then just don't even take the application because people are placing their hopes in that. And they're making decisions based on that. And that is just as cruel as what Greg Abbott is doing at the Texas border. <sighs> anyway, so that was that. Also, um, I think I mentioned that there's actually been court cases that the Biden administration was trying to get vacated because the judge said, you need to speed it up, the SIV applications. So this just came out last week. They're putting out bids for um, companies that can do those verifications of the applications. Um, this, what I read in the actual article, it said that they wanted some like a company that could do 500 a month. That's not enough. We should be doing like 5,000 a month. We should just, this is, should be like flat on, do it and get it done. This is just not acceptable. And this is only the SIV applications. Can you believe this? So anyway, at least there's some sort of movement there. I don't know. And then the other thing, it's kind of a bummer. Um, there was a, a portion of like a defense bill that would have, have helped some of the SIV applicants. It would have provided more, um, more visas. It would provide a, a direct remember all the things but there were several things that would have helped the situation in the um, in that defense bill and uh, Grassley basically shut it down and his excuse was that he had security concerns okay these are people who worked with the troops they were vetted on the front end and basically what you're saying is that you don't think that the military can vet people anyway that's ridiculous so Anyway, that was that. But uh, the um, the uh, 
the uh, there's a new the African Adjustment Act has been submitted again, so hopefully that will go. But anyway, um, as far as our people, what was I going to say? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember if I talked about this this week or last week. There are two. There was a Canadian employment visa is expedited employment visa for refugees, but um, they have the requirement is it has to be like in a certain they have to have experience or education in a certain area and they have to know English and they also have to have, they're supposed to have the UNHCR designation, but if they don't have it, they can, there's three organizations that will certify them as refugees. So there's a, a thing around that. One of our, I was checking with one of our, our um, people, he's a dentist. He uh, went through, um, he qualifies for it and he's studying now for his IELTS exam to test his English profic proficiency. If he gets a six on that, then he'll be in the pool to be recommended and get an invitation letter. So that's, that's a possible um, one for him. There was also um, Germany is also changed immigration laws to allow um, educated people and people with experience to come and give them a year to find a job. So Canada and Germ Germany are actually kind of with it, you know, realizing, hey, we need professional people, we need workers. You know, I guess everybody is the same thing that the U.S. is always complaining about, not enough people. And so they're doing what they can to bring these people in. Um, again, it goes, they have to have no, in Germany, they have to either know German or English. So we were talking about that on Monday and um, the importance of getting English up to speed. And so uh, we are working on that. We actually are, I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, we are, uh, we have some scholarships for, um, for some of the people to take some English classes. And I, oh, I did talk about this last week because I think I misquoted it. So I, I said last week it was $50 for tuition for uh, someone to take English classes for three months. It's actually 25 I think what I had in my head, I was thinking husband and wife. Because that's the other thing I've been telling him. The whole family needs to learn English. Everybody needs to be ready to, you know, work together to rebuild their lives. So, um, we're just stressing that. And uh, I told our translators, I'm going to keep stressing it. I'm going to say it every week. You know, either decide you're gonna have, you need to learn English, everybody does, or just figure you need to find a way to get residency in, in Pakistan or go back to Afghanistan. Those are, those are the options. If you want to immigrate, you need to learn English. So I think that's it. I, I think there's some other things I was going to talk about, but I can't, I can't remember what they were, but, um, yeah, so it seems like, I don't know, it seems like things are shaping up, and there's another thing that we're working on, I don't really want to say yet, it's, uh, it's still in the beginning phases, but when we first, when we first got involved in this, I, like, I knew it was like, it was going to take a, a lot of people to be involved, it wasn't going to just be one or two people, a lot of people were need a lot of help, but also, in December, I knew, I knew it was more than just being about that group of people, those families. That was beyond that. 
and I kind of had an idea of something, but I didn't know how it was going to come about. And I think that is actually coming now. I can see what that is. And again, it wasn't really something that I initiated. It was something that some of our people um, initiated, but we just need to find the resources to make that happen. So I don't know. We'll just see what comes next. We'll see what comes next. Anyway, again, if um, you'd like to help any of our people out, you can go to race to no, you can go to donshireministries.org and select uh, race to walk and donate there. But I will have an overview of um, I have an article on my website at racetowalk.org of this uh, live stream and with all the links to everything I was talking about. So anyway, thanks for watching. I hope you have a great week and uh, that you're able to uh, do some good. See you next time.